So hello and welcome to a rather muggy and overcast Tempodrome here in uh, Berlin uh, for the uh, Take Orally Live at the end of the second day of DASMAC. Uh, my name is Jamie, uh, at McDreamy on Twitter, uh, teach fellow emergency medicine. Hello, my name's Kim, um, I'm one of the juniors working at Queen's Medical Centre ED. You can follow me um, on Twitter at Ivy Clocks. Hi, my name is Simon. I'm one of the ED registrars at Queen's and you can follow me at, at Dr. Tukarczyk. Hi, I'm Faisal Faruqi, uh, ED consultant and you can follow me at Faisal underscore Faruqi. I think the live pounding techno music behind us is adding a certain something to this podcast. <laughs> yes, I agree. It's uh, quite nice, isn't it? We're sort of stood next to the polystyrene giant smack uh, sign that they had to put away because of the rain, next to some speakers uh, taking on some fluid boluses once again. I think the music is giving us a hint that there's a big gala dinner tonight. There is a very big gala dinner tonight, so we need to get this recorded and out there before so we can go and attend. Uh, please say Simon will not be running off today. He's got his branded t-shirt on ready. Yes, and you can actually see the picture on Jamie's blog. Absolutely. You're looking lovely. So then, chaps and lady. Um, <laughs> are you a chap, Kim? Shall we call you a chap? Right. I think I'm a lady. Okay. Chaps, chaps and yeah. lady. Okay. Uh, right then, doctors. Um, let's be professional. Uh, <laughs> What shall we start with then, think, uh, talking about uh, our second day at DASMAC? Um, well, the day started off with a panel discussion about um, tribes and tribalism in medicine in particular, but all sort of healthcare professionals. Um, one of the questions was, do you find your tribe or does your tribe find you? What did you think? It's a good question. Um, I certainly hadn't thought of emergency medicine before I worked in emergency medicine, so maybe my tribe found me. What do you think? Um, well, I think the, the panellists um, came to a bit of a conclusion of it's a mix of both. Um, when you stumble across your tribe, as you say, if you didn't realise it's where you're headed, um, you find a, a group of people who are perhaps like-minded, that you feel supported by, um, protected by. Um, so there were a lot of positives about your tribe um, but there was also a little bit of discussion about how tribes can um, conflict with other tribes they can stop good communication and they can negatively impact patient care which um, is something that we need to be aware of mentioning no other particular specialties no none at all none at all Simon did you choose emergency medicine or did emergency medicine choose you I definitely chose emergency medicine I was the orthopedic surgeon before which I didn't really enjoy but I'm very happy now <laughs> Faisal, did you choose emergency medicine or did it choose you? Um, I think emergency medicine chose me. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> they saw that there was a, a, an FF size space. Yeah. yeah. Somebody who can work long hours. <laughs> Uh, anything else on, on that uh, on that morning session? Oh, I have something to add. Do you re yeah. remember the quote by Liz Crow? Don't forget to love the cock, and it stays for code of conduct. Yeah, COC. Yes, love the code of conduct. Yeah, I like that idea of emotional contagion. The idea I that if that. if the first thing you say when you walk into resources is "Good morning, everyone," isn't it nice to work together? Rather than you 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 set the tone maybe for the next ten hours. I think that's important. Oh, that was definitely a, a team effort as well. So there is an element of the leader setting the tone, but you know the other members of the team um, are equally as important in setting a tone, changing a tone, um, and perhaps we ought to be thinking about a more flat hierarchy. Um, 
valuing everyone's opinions equally, working more as a team, um, using all of our resources that are available. Excellent, yes, and I think the talks that's uh, about keeping that flat hierarchy even in times of crisis and stress. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anything else uh, from this morning that you uh, want to mention? Are we talking still about the session one? Or? Any sessions at all. This is an open forum. There's pounding techno. Let's keep it loose. Fair enough. Well, in that case, I must just say that I completely enjoy another day of smack. And uh, Chris Hicks' talk, uh, talk on making complex things simple made my day. Or at least my morning, because there were quite a few amazing talks later on as well. He's a very good uh, speaker, isn't he? He's brilliant. And the discussion that he had later on the simulation was absolutely brilliant. Um, so what did you take away from making the complex simple then? Well, basically, think big and uh, make the plans simple. Um, he decomposed a really, really um, complex case of the trauma patient, uh, bringing it down into four simple steps, like lean on habits, and foster emergence, factor down the problem, and limit variables. And yeah. um, we can probably record another podcast on that later on. Just you pro you probably could do just one on purely on that alone, wasn't it? But yeah, yeah, he, he was absolutely brilliant on that. He used a very, he's the example of a very complex poly trauma with pregnancy as well involved, and actually saying, well, actually, you can break it down into an airway problem. A, a, a um, trauma, pregnancy. Yeah. He threw everything in the mix. <laughs> but you could actually look at it as well. There's an airway problem. There's a circulation problem. Yes. There's a pelvic problem. And, and look at it that way rather than going oh gosh look at this huge thing I've got in front of me yes and don't have the brown pants syndrome <laughs> the buttock clap I think he called it yeah, see, that buttock clap was another one they also talked about nurse-led uh, cardiac arrest didn't they um, yeah so one of the speakers later in the day um, was talking about that doctors don't rule the recess. Um, so Ashley uh, Leibig, who I think was a pre pre hospital um, nurse. She's flight nurse. Yeah, flight nurse. I've been in the military. Was yeah. um, you can tell that from the way she talks. Yeah. Yes. Um, she was she was given the the title doctors don't rule the recess, um, which she promptly qualified with. Well, everywhere she's been, they do. Um, so the way she approached that was to uh, organise with a local hospital an attempt to redesign, rethink the way that we appro uh, approach sort of resuscitation. Um, and one of the things that she talked about, which I found quite interesting, was essentially about how how can we better use people. Um, and one of the things that she suggested was, you know, we've got a lot of allied healthcare professionals. Um, nurses, paramedics um, who are trained in ATLS um, and why do we train them if we don't use them to lead um, our recess calls. Um, so allowing the sort of clinical decision maker to have some headspace um, so that they're not having to think about um, electricity and shocks and drugs um, but actually think about what are the reversible causes, what can we do next and sort of coordinating the rest of the team um, and I think that was a little bit controversial but I, I thought it was interesting.
Well, I actually, if I may add something to it, I agree. I think that nurse-led code is a good idea, especially that this leaves your hands free, so you can potentially do an ultrasound at the same time. You can tell we've been around non-UK medics, we're calling them codes. Yes. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> Apologies. Been on the form uh, form world a little bit too long. <laughs> Took me 20 minutes to realise that labs meant blood tests. I, I worked in America before, so I know that. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. Carry on. What you saying? No, it's um. So yeah, I think that the nurse-led nurse-led codes or the nurse-led resuscitation in the ALS is not a bad idea at all. It leaves you, as Kim already mentioned, a bandwidth of uh, of your of your mind space to um, to think about the potential causes, not just run for H four Ts, but actually have a little bit more of understanding of what's going on with the patient. And it leaves your hands free, so you can potentially throw that probe on the patient and look at the heart and see what's going on. And focus on that, and not the other myriad of things indeed, going on. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So when I run, when I run the resuscitation call, I when I have to think about everything, it's pretty much, um, I, yeah, it's 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 not the best idea. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, there's a lot of good bits on teamwork. I can't remember exactly who it was, and it might have actually been yesterday. But somebody suggested doing a dummy early trauma call. Was it yesterday? No, that was early on today at the end of first okay. talk. And so if you were on the trauma team calling them down to recess and doing a brief dummy run and then in actually introducing each other and saying hello I'm such and such so you actually know who your anaesthetist is that day you know who's on the major trauma team I, I found that quite interesting Well I'm doing that already I mean I'm not bringing the team down but I try to call them and ask who is on call at that very very day so when they come down I know who to expect yeah. Well and it fed into that um, tribalism you know you, you're forming a new tribe um, but you are getting them from all over the place um, so actually if you've met them before you're in an emergency situation you know people's names or you at least recognize their faces you can give them a valuable job um, and you're gonna uh, work better as a team in that situation I'm sure it must be much better if you actually know the name of the airway team the anesthetist and their ODP rather than just going anesthetist ODP yes indeed I mean working in Queens for a long time I Actually, I'm probably in a privileged position because I know most of the anesthetists by name nowadays, uh, especially that I worked in the anesthesia and ICU, so it, it makes my life a little bit easier. Faisal, you've been a bit quiet over there, taking yeah. on your fluid bolus. Um, <laughs> what, what did you take from today? What, what did you find particularly interesting? So, yeah, again, like uh, uh, what Kim and Simon mentioned, uh, day two was uh, more interesting and more informative as compared to day one. Uh, there were some really excellent talks covering a wide range of uh, topics focusing especially more on resuscitation today but also on ultrasound, uh, trauma, a bit of social media um, but the main highlights of day two for me was more about panel discussions, debate and especially the sim session I think the sim session was really good um, I think Again with Chris Hicks uh, Yeah, Chris Hicks um, and, and this is basically what the audience or delegates prefer nowadays they, they, they want some variety mm. uh, I mean nobody just wants to listen to lectures given by some famous keynote speakers um, which is for me a very outdated um, style of conferences um, and the, the scenario which they use it's a very complex but very common scenario um, an agitated young patient presenting to the emergency department with a head injury with a head injury well possible head injury possible head injury possibly, possibly suicidal possible substance misuse mm. um, and it's very difficult who, who wants to leave the department and you're basically stuck uh, how are you going to manage this patient are you going to try to um, try to chat 
um, with the soak them down soak them down basically or do you think that you need to be more aggressive in your management uh, take the patient to research sedate the patient um, and do a CT scan to rule out a head injury mm. um, and um, apart from that the other uh, really interesting talk um, was about uh, pediatric um, cardiac um, conditions. Uh, the talk from Michelle Domico. So basically, um, no child comes and says that I have got chest pain. So they all present with very vague symptoms, um, which can be like feeling tired, lethargic, um, feeling problems, abdominal pain, failure to thrive, and. Sometimes we discharge these patients uh, with viral disease or non-specific diagnosis. We discharge them more often than more often, uh, yeah. And well, some of some sometimes they they come back as a return patient. So basically, the mo the most important point is that we have to think outside the box, mm. um, and we have to think about pediatric cardiac abnormalities like um, dilated cardiomyopathies, um, heart failure, and I think she mentioned about the BNP as one of the uh, important uh, mm. marker rather than trope. Um, so that's, that not, was, I think that's not something we regularly request in the emergency department, no, is I it? I don't remember ever requesting that yeah. in ED. But mm -hmm. I think the main thing is that we have to think about this as a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, I like the patient who return. Yeah, I like the yeah exactly that point of the returning patients. She did give some highlight, highlights some cases where they'd been seen by a pediatrician in the community yeah. uh, several times for failure to thrive and given given different diagnoses, you know, digestive problems, etc. And actually, it's that cognitive bias breaking out of that and and thinking about potential other diagnoses. It's interesting how many cases of the, the cardiomegaly being shown up on X-ray, but the X-ray was something completely different. So the, you know, patient was shot of breath. Is that yeah, they were all with um, different type of cardiac well, abnormalities. That's the problem because we very rarely actually think about cardiac as a potential cause in children because they usually have a healthy heart. So w when we think about it, the, the respiratory conditions are so much more common in, the, in kids than, they are, than the cardiac ones. But the, these, these are the ones that you don't want to miss. Yeah. I also liked um, in the discussion with the simulation, the idea that it was mentioned about emotional valence. So that if you're actually in a simulation environment and stressed, uh, any learning you have while feeling stressed, you actually better recall when you are feeling stressed again, because it's almost like a learned memory. So I found that quite interesting. Well, and there was, um, it's, it's also finding that balance in a sim situation of challenging people, trying to make the learning real and applicable, but not being so challenging that mm. you just terrify people and they freeze up. Um, Psychologically safe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was done very well I think in the tribalism talk again they, they mentioned uh, one of the panel mentioned that you have to almost give three good because we focus always on the negative and positive feedback tends to be very vague oh you were lovely this was good and then critical feedback tends to be very precise your CPR was rubbish but you were nice you know and actually they, they said you almost need to give three bits of very precise good feedback for every one bit of not so positive feedback you give because we tend to just remember the the bad and if you give it as a three to one ratio you actually then may come out thinking oh the it was about level which is interesting interesting how people think anything else two doctors in the recess room from the new york then uh, they talk about scape that was very nice um what is scape Oh, sorry, it's a sympathetic crashic acute pulmonary edema. So the patient presents uh, diaphoretic, sweaty, hypertensive, and tachycardic. And then they are basically in the sympathetic overload. So the management of them was not a new thing, but it's nice that they brought that to the table. Mm. You mentioned about uh, venisection. 
which is to take uh, the blood out. Yeah, so the venous, the, the venous section they mentioned about the patients who are uh, normally on the dialysis, yeah. so that is the reason why we want to um, decrease the preload, then that is the reason why you do the venous section. It's an old thing. Yeah, but, but I mean, uh, yeah, they, they only use nowadays. No, it's uh, very rarely, if any time. But they mentioned about putting them early, so the escape, they mentioned about putting them early on the ventilator or actually on any me mechanical ventilations and an IV for those patients as early as possible and then start them on the well we do we do dinitrate drip but basically any nitrate that you have in the department I find that very confusing because edema has an O at the beginning of it so it should actually be scapo I don't know why Americans are calling it scape but you know beyond me really so uh, you know it's like they're talking about TEE -E, it's TOE esophagus has a as a an O in front of it as well is that just me? Am I just being a bit uh, over? <laughs> no, that, that, that was another interesting point actually, the T-O-E or T-E, whatever you want to call them, and putting that probe during the cardiac arrest. I don't see it coming very quickly to our department, but nevertheless it was a nice concept. Yeah, it was one, another one of the Sonobite snippets, and they were talking about that it, uh, rather than, you know, the difficulties you can have of getting a good cardiac field in an arrest situation, patient habitus, equipment in the way, etc, etc, that using the transesophageal gives you a much clearer view. Absolutely, because there's nothing in your way. It's literally just sitting behind your heart. Mm. And it doesn't have to interrupt anything else. You can continue your compressions. And they actually talked about using it um, both to rule out uh, sort of reversible causes, but also is actually a marker of effective chest compressions because not everyone's heart is in the same place and you can't really tell from the outside. Yeah, and they actually had the proper video up there showing, didn't they? Saying the, the left ventricle during the pour and then after then moving. So it's always useful to have that sort of clear example. Nevertheless, you need a clinician who actually do that. Well, yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything, um, the anaphylaxis talk was also very good. I, I don't think that there was anything new from the learning point of view, but yeah. I think the talk um, was the really good. The presentation was absolutely excellent. Shall we talk a bit about the presentation then? Because, uh, you know, um, I, I love a good presentation. So, um, th this, uh, this was by uh, Daniel uh, Cabrera. Yeah, uh, and uh, he used a very novel form, didn't he? Yes, that was absolutely amazing. I'm actually one of the computer geeks. I loved it. <laughs> I loved computer games. And the way he presented it just brought it up to my stream. So he did it in the um, in a way of presenting it as a um, computer game. It was Space Invaders it type of thing. It yeah. was absolutely brilliant. Um, that should be on the SMAC site soon. So probably you can, walk, uh, you can watch it. Um, but nevertheless, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and uh, the comparison to the ninja when you are compared, when, <laughs> when you are faced with the refractory anaphylaxis to be swift, yeah. um, s uh, strong and precise. Mm. That, that was the learning point. I really, really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I liked a few bits, but uh, well, not light, but they made me think that, uh, you know, such as 50% uh, of patients who need adrenaline, or as he called it, epinephrine, again, with the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, 50% uh, of patients who actually need adrenaline don't get it. Yes, very true. And the 50% who go, who do get the first dose will need another one. Mm. Although I had a very different experience from our uh, um, point of view, because I mean I sometimes think that sometimes the paramedics give more adrenaline. I mean, like uh, when they present with simple allergic reaction and not mm. really um, mm. anaphylaxis, um, mm. but they have given adrenaline quite more often. Mm. So he mentioned that from the bee sting to arrest, it's about 15 minutes, and that is your anaphylaxis. 
and five minutes from your penicillin to arrest if your penicillin is very penicillin. true you'd rather, you, you should really stop it very quickly yes <laughs> uh, so I am then I am again and if you're still refractory then for, start them on a drip absolutely so and um, you know bronchodilators uh, O2 if uh, you know in severe respiratory distress interestingly antihistamines and steroids not really going to save your patient's life just make them feel a bit better absolutely well that was known for a long time now I'm glad that he brought it to the table though well he also just did some very sort of simple reminders of the basics so um, you, you know your patient might survive their first episode um, but on the second time um, when they've sort of developed that ad additional hypersensitivity if they if you've not educated them if you've not discharged them with their EpiPen if you've not um, given them an action plan um, which I think we potentially are maybe a little bit guilty of in the emergency department because we just kind of assume that they're going to be sent somewhere and be someone else's problem mm. um, that that was quite a salient learning point for me just to you know take every opportunity to educate your patients about their conditions because <laughs> they're the ones that have them don't just assume that they'll know that they have to avoid nuts from now on <laughs> well yeah <laughs> well or you know never bees. assume or bees yes exactly <laughs> luckily none around here um i also like his, his point because it's something that always annoys my students because I, I always like to ask the question what's the difference between anaphylaxis and anaphylactoid and there's always one in my group who then says well, what's the point the management's the same which is true but you know it's it's a it's a favorite of the exam questions so yes but it's a very <laughs> artificial isn't it it's is exactly it's exactly remind like with yesterday with the uh, osler's nose and janeway lesions maybe i need to change them really forget about that now i know but it's just <laughs> upsets me <laughs> uh anything else do you think we yeah. missed uh, the emergency musical interlude today well, no, no Seaman Biz was today, sadly. No. Just, just the pounding techno. Ah, yeah. Well, he was absolutely amazing yesterday. And, Who um, knows? He might be back on day three. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, but the uh, final bit of today was the resuscitation for the resuscitationist with the amazing panel of speakers and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know how do you yeah, feel guys about really that. It was really a good uh, panel discussion. Um, yeah. It's always uh, good to hear from different speakers from different countries. Um, sharing their knowledge experience um, and uh, I think it was really good in the end yes I, I, I completely agree I still haven't really figured out what to do for these vasoplegic patients yeah so, so um, what, what's your guys take on this preemptive CPR that they were talking about in the LED so when you think that they are going to arrest if they are still not dead yet just start the CPR on them I'm sorry just was just bugging me for most of the presentation uh, well, I'm just reminded of, of people who, uh, who've had community CPR, uh, who are sat there complaining of all the chest pain, broken bones and st sternal fractures that their over-exuberant uh, bystanders have given them. And uh, I've, I've witnessed it firsthand where, you know, they've still got a pulse and CPR has been attempted and, and then there's a flailing arm and a, and a swear word as, as you uh, crack their chest. I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fair point that, uh, <laughs> that they made as well. Um, the other thing is that as model for the refractory VF arrest, that is another thing. Mm. What yeah, I've never heard of this before, to be honest. Yeah, or isoprenaline in infusion. Mm. Um, so 
I got their point. I know and I, I do understand what they were talking about. So that they, if we give too much adrenaline, there will be a lot, a, a lot more of the beta overdrive. So you want to switch that off and have only the alpha yeah. um, agonism, and that's why you will give the beta blocker. But nevertheless, I've never seen or heard about yeah, this but before. I think it's beyond ED management because most of these patients by that time are already. Um, referred to ITU, being tubed and referred to ITU, and then they will transfer these patients for ECMO if required. So we don't see these sort of patients. Well, yes and no, because obviously when they come from from uh, a uh, from the field, and then the paramedics bring them in, um, and obviously they were in the in this refractory uh, VF. They've been in that for well, let's say 15-20 minutes, had multiple shocks, and they're still in VF. Uh, then it's still our problem. Oh, it is definitely just that we don't see that no it's much. it's it's not very often i agree yeah. nevertheless it's something to bear in mind and it's interesting still that there was some disagree uh, there was uh, some variance in an, in an agreement on the the ideal temperature for our post arrest patients as well yeah every single delegate i, I mean every single speaker actually had a different temperature in mm. mind um, i think that they i think that the one of the recent trials completely messed up in people's head bringing the um, therapeutic hypothermia back to its knees um, so still people do it still they call people uh, they call the post arrest patients down um, I think we are quite fortunate in ED that we don't have to do it nevertheless um, the tight temperature control seems to be the way forward mm. just because we can't find the ice cubes in ED well, you can bring them from Costa. <laughs> <laughs> I could do with some cooling right now. It's quite warm, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, right then, so... Um, you'll get more details, uh, I'm sure, um, in JT's blog, which is amazing. <laughs> um, and I think we should be heading towards our gala dinner, which is uh, one of the most important part of the conference. It's all about networking, <laughs> collaboration and drinking. Takeorally.com for that blog, by the way. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, does anyone have any final points of, of Das Mac Day 2? Um, just like Simon mentioned earlier, you can access all of these uh, talks on the SMAC website. Um, really good resource for people that haven't been able to make it out here. Quick, to the point, interesting, um, definitely worth a look. Uh, yes, I'm just saying that I'm enjoying the conference. I'm waiting for day three. Definitely looking forward to today's gala dinner. <laughs> and uh, um, if Jamie would be kind enough, I'll speak to you tomorrow. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'll consider it. Uh, say goodbye, Kim. Bye-bye. Say goodbye, Simon. See you later. Say goodbye, Faisal. Bye. Bye, everyone. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.